Coming to you live from a barbecue shack near you, it's the SEC Slow Smoke Podcast. We've got the sweet tea, the white bread, and a whole lot of slow smoke takes lined up. So put down your turkey burger, turn up the volume, and grab your hog, because it's about to be on. Oh, yeah. Now, say hello to your self-proclaimed food and sports experts, the utterly enthusiastic Holt Smash, and the one and only Tinder King of Memphis, Mr. JB the underscore Brooks. And now, here's your host, always full of ship, Alex Bullship One. Welcome in to the SEC Slow Smoke Podcast. Uh, I'm not Alex. I'm Holt. I'm uh, running up the point tonight. Alex couldn't be here with us. But I am joined by uh, the one and only Tinder King of Memphis, JB. How's it going? I'm doing pretty well, Holt. Uh, we're both missing Alex tonight. Alex had to uh, turn in early. So it's you and I running the show. I'm excited. It's uh, been an exciting weekend over the first and second rounds of the tournament. And now we got uh, the Sweet 16 Elite Eight coming up this weekend. Yeah, that's right. Great, uh, great first weekend of March Madness, and yeah, we always miss Alex when he can't make it on here. But the good news is, it'll probably be a little bit shorter show tonight because there's there's only uh, two mouths to feed, uh, so to speak. So uh, we'll just uh, I'll give you a rundown real quick of what we're gonna do. What we're gonna talk about on this episode. We got uh, obviously we're gonna talk about all seven of the SEC teams and how they did in the first weekend. Some good, some bad, some okay, and then we got. Uh, you know, of course, Alabama and Vanderbilt have fired their coaches and are moving on. So we'll talk about some maybe some candidates there, how we kind of feel about uh, how those coaches were treated and whether or not they were justified or not. And then, of course, we're going to touch a little bit on the Will Wade, LSU, Dick Vitale whole thing that's been going on uh, these last few days. So uh, and then we'll have some rapid fire at the end. I'm going to ask uh, JB some some tough questions um, and uh, then we'll go ahead and wrap it up. So hopefully it'll be pretty quick. You uh, are you ready to get this going, JB? I am. Uh, you're running the point tonight, Holt. So, uh, you know, we'll just have you go from topic to topic. Uh, what do you want to start with? I'll have to d- dive into. Yeah. Well, uh, first of all, I-, I can pretty much play any position on the on the floor. They uh, back when uh, I was playing, they said I was the next uh, Magic Jackson. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so. Uh... Yep, that's that's what I got. That's uh, that's my best joke. Uh, all right, we'll move on. Uh, so let's start with uh, maybe some of the bad first. Just kind of get it out of the way. Um, Ole Miss uh, gets blown out in the first round by Oklahoma. They lose ninety five to seventy two. Uh, Kermit Davis. They did overachieve a lot in his first season. Um, I don't think that they were pre- predicted last in the SEC, I believe, and uh, ended up making the tournament as a nine seed. So, uh, or an eight seed, excuse me. So, uh, you know, pretty exciting season, but kind of a tough finish. Um, you know, they had that win at Missouri, but other than that, they pretty much struggled down the stretch. Uh, what do you think about Ole Miss, JB? Yeah, I mean, it was it was an out it was an outstanding season for Ole Miss. I know, granted, it uh, didn't end the way a lot of Ole Miss fans want hope that it would end, but in the end, you still overachieved. Uh, you were picked; they were picked last. Picked. They were picked to finish last in the SEC by the media in the preseason. 
ended up making it into the NCAA tournament as an eight seed. So all in all, it was definitely an overachievement. They did a lot better than I anticipated. But, you know, when the game started, like, I think Oklahoma started off the game on a 12-0 run before Ole Miss finally got a bucket. And it's just hard to recover from that. And uh, Ole Miss just uh, was down double digits for the majority of the game and tried to make a run at one point uh, early in the second half when they cut it back to 12 after Oklahoma had about maybe a 20-point lead at one point. But other than that, it was kind of just an ugly game. And Terrence Davis led him in scoring, you know, make with 17. But, you know, there's a lot to look forward to for the future in Oxford with Kermit Davis at the helm. But they got a bright future. And uh, next year they got some, you know, key pieces back. I expect them to make another run for the tournament next year too. Yeah, I agree. And, um, you know, if you're an Ole Miss fan, I know it's, it's upsetting. I think a lot of people, including us, picked them to win that first game. Um, you know, I know it's kind of disappointing, but you kind of have to put things in perspective sometimes. And, you know, if you just said before the season started that Ole Miss is going to make the tournament, you know, you would have, you know, thought that I was crazy or whatever. So um, you kind of got to just be happy that you made it as far as you did. Um, and uh, also in the Magnolia State uh, – you know, the good news for Ole Miss fans is they did get to watch uh, their arch rival Mississippi State fall to Liberty later that night, 80-76. to 76. Um, Kind of a weird game. Mississippi State was up like 10 points with like seven minutes left. And uh, Q and Lamar Peters got in some foul trouble, and their offense kind of was afraid to do anything, and they ended up settling for some shots, letting Liberty back in the game. Um Guy, uh, his name escapes me. Number one for Liberty got really hot and hit a bunch of threes down the stretch, and uh, they were able to get the 12 5 upset over Mississippi State. Yeah, that was a just really disappointing game. Uh, I, th- I mean, I picked State to win it. I thought that Liberty was the weakest of this year's 12 seeds and still a solid team, but I think Liberty really got a 12 seed because they had some, we had some upsets. In the conference tournaments, I were able to bump them up a seed line. I thought they were really more of a 13 seed in my opinion, going into the tournament. But, you know, it's, it's you know it's all about matchups in this in this NCAA tournament. It always has been. Uh, Caleb Holmesley got hot, made a bunch of critical threes to keep Liberty in it. I know that uh, State had a 73-63 lead, as you said, or they had a 10-point lead, but it was 73-63 about seven minutes to go. And at that point, I was feeling pretty comfortable about State at that, at that juncture, thinking that they were going to be able to hold on and, come out with a way to victory. Actually, excuse me, it was 63-53, so I had 10 points better for each team. But, you know, Quint Q led him with 27 points. I uh, got 13 free throws, but it was really disappointing how that game ended. I thought that State got a little bit too passive on offense, settling for too many outside shots, and just played right into Liberty's hands and gave him a chance to come back there at the end, and that's exactly what they did. Right, and that's what, you know, we heard about Liberty before the game started was that they're really good at uh, drawing charges. And, um, you know, Q uh, had a charge called on him that was his fourth foul, and I think after that he was just really timid, didn't want to foul out. And, uh, you know, he's their best scorer, you know, as far as getting to the rim. And, uh, you know, they ended up selling for some for some bad shots, like you said. And um, it's kind of disappointing. I think this – this has kind of been the year that Mississippi State's been building towards and to kind of not really do much in the regular season. And, you know, they get the fifth seed, which is decent, not great. And then losing the first round is obviously really disappointing. Um, Where do you – like, how do you feel about Ben Howland and Mississippi State as a program kind of going forward? I mean, I still think there's there's a lot of potential for them to do well. I mean, I know some State fans are down after this year. and 
And granted, I think it was kind of an underachieving season. I thought how Mississippi State performed this year was how they were going to perform last year. I thought last year's team was – or I thought this year's team was going to be a lot like last year and that this year they would have been more into the, uh, you know, top four seed range, like a protected seed and, you know, maybe challenge for the, uh, you know, Sweet 16 to Elite Eight, but didn't really develop how, the, how it was supposed to. And, uh, you know, they're going to lose some key pieces from this year's team with uh, Q and uh, Eric Coleman. Possibly some other guys, maybe Lamar Peters, but you still got some pieces coming back next year that I think you're still going to be in tournament contention. Right. And then uh, moving on to the team that went one and one this weekend, uh, Florida wins their first game uh, against Nevada um, that you and I don't know if it was you so much, but definitely Alex gave me a hard time for picking Florida to win that game. And uh, they were able to win it uh, 70 to 61. Uh, then fall to Michigan. It was it was close in the the first half against Michigan, but uh, the second half Michigan really uh, put it to them and ended up winning about 15. Uh, Florida just really struggled to uh, to hit shots in that second half. Um, what do you got on uh, the Florida Gators' performance this past weekend? It wasn't bad. I mean, they have some uh, you know key you know key seniors that on the on the team that are able to lead them. You know, in the first round against a really good Nevada team that. I had going into the Sweet 16. Like, I, I had them beating Florida in the first round and then upsetting Michigan in the second round. And Florida really came to play that game. And uh, they they were pretty much uh, pulling all the punches on Nevada. And Nevada wasn't able to respond as well. And they, Nevada made a run there at the end and had a chance to uh, take the lead and wasn't able to do so. Florida's defense really put the clamps down on them and shut down that Nevada attack. And that was a very impressive victory. And then they ran into a uh, Michigan team, which really all in all was just a bad matchup for Florida with the way that Michigan plays. And it's basically just, you know, Michigan has a little bit better offense than Florida, but Michigan also plays really excellent defense. John Beeline's an outstanding coach. And it just wasn't the best matchup for Florida in the second round. But all in all, I mean, it was kind of a slightly underachieving season, you know, going 20 and 15 and getting a 10 seed, considering I think a lot of people thought Florida would be a top 25 team this year. And, didn't leave that way, but Mike White has definitely proven himself to be a really good March coach. And for folks in Gainesville, he's still a young he's still a young guy. He's not not even forty yet, and he's you know coaching in his uh, fourth or fifth year at Florida. So there's a lot of uh, good years ahead for Florida and, and Mike White in that program. Yeah, I agree. Mike White is a really good coach. I think this season for Florida was kind of a you know an outlier. I think you know they're usually going to be a little bit better than this. And uh, I do expect them to be right back in the tournament again next year. Um, and uh, those are the three teams that were eliminated in the first weekend. But advancing were four SEC teams to the Sweet 16. Um, I believe that's the second most of any conference. I believe the ACC has five. Um, so, obviously, really good for the SEC. Um, and uh, I guess the first team we'll talk about is Kentucky. Um, obviously, you know, when the first game – very easily against 15 seed, not really much to talk about there, but the second game, they were really challenged by Wofford and, um, you know, a team that obviously has a lot of shooters and, uh, but they were able to keep McGee, I believe to zero three pointers. I'm pretty sure that's correct. Uh, the NCAA's all time leader in three pointers. Um, so they did a really good job guarding him and forcing the ball into some other players hands. And, uh, they were able to hold on for the win. They were. That was a very impressive outing by Kentucky. Uh, John Calipari made everyone else on Wofford score on him. They were not going to let Fletcher McGee beat him. 
And you're right, uh, Fletcher did not get a single three-pointer in that game. He took 12 and went 0 for 12. So, very impressive defensive outing and good game plan by Calipari. Uh, and the wor- crazy thing is that Cal- as, uh, Kentucky went through this weekend without their best player, arguably their best player, P.J. Washington. And that was a huge loss for them. Uh, came down with a, uh, I think it was a foot sprain, which kind of came out of nowhere because I don't remember seeing him suffer any kind of injury, so I don't know where he may have suffered it. Speculation is it could have been after the uh, t- the game they lost to Tennessee or sometime during practice that week, but that came out of nowhere. I wasn't expecting that, but for Kentucky, like, they were able to get past Wofford, a really hot Wofford team, you know, with a lot of experience, a few seniors and juniors all in that, all in that uh, lineup and uh, off the bench as well, and it was it was a good win. I mean, it was I don't think anybody that was a two seed wanted to see Wofford in the second round. And, and Kentucky was the unfortunate team that had to draw them. But, you know, they survived and advanced. And now they're going into the second weekend. And hopefully P.J. Washington can get healthy. Yeah, and they're uh, going to be taking on Houston in the Sweet 16. Um, obviously, very, very talented for a mid-major. That was one thing that stood out to me was uh, they seem to have a lot of really talented guys on their team. And they play really hard. So that's definitely going to be a really tough matchup for Kentucky. Obviously, they're – the three seed um, out of the American. And uh, what do you expect from this matchup on uh, on Friday night? Oh, man, it's, it's, it's a really tough matchup. They really need P.J. Washington, in my opinion, in order to advance. Uh, it's just it's Houston's really good. I mean, they're exceptionally good. That, that matchup really worries me for Kentucky. Even with P.J. Washington, it makes me a little bit worried because, I mean, Corey Davis is a really great scorer. He likes to drive into the to the rim too, and you need somebody that like a rim protector like PJ Washington that can come down there and protect the paint, but it also just match Corey Davis point for point as well. But I mean that whole Houston team is just tall, they're lengthy, they're athletic, they shoot the three really well, play really awesome defense, they can score, they do it all. And Kelvin Sampson's done a has done an absolutely amazing job with that team. And it's a tough matchup for Kentucky. John Calipari's got his hands full. I picked Kentucky before the tournament started, but without P.J. Washington, I'm a little iffy on this one. Yeah, and that was the the one thing um, that I mentioned um, that just really stood out to me about Houston is just how hard they play. They seem like they play, like, just really hard. And that, to me, is uh, always a direct indication of uh, good coaching. Um, it, it is, yeah. I, I mean, I'm a big fan of Kelvin Sampson. I mean – I know he had some uh, issues at Indiana with the, but uh, he was able to. He's redeemed his career, and uh, he's done an awesome, fantastic job at Houston, reviving that program and making it nationally relevant. And this Houston team has the tools to make the run at the Final Four. Like I, they're definitely a Final Four caliber team, and it feels like maybe the winner of this game could go to the Final Four. I mean, it's not far fetched to say that. I mean, this this region that they're in, Houston, Kentucky, then North Carolina and Auburn. You can make an argument that the winner of this region is going to win the national championship. That's how good it is. Right. And uh, speaking of Auburn, we'll go ahead and transition over to them. Um, obviously, one of the hotter teams in the country right now. Um, they had a little struggle against New Mexico State. They had a, a decent lead late and allowed New Mexico State to get back in the game and actually had a shot um, at, you know, at the buzzer that would have won them the game that they missed. Um, and then, you know, obviously they bounced back and – beat Kentucky pretty good, uh, 89-75 in the second round. Um, you know, a game that 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 final score is about as close as it got. I mean, Auburn was pretty much killing them the whole game. 
but what did you make of uh, Auburn's weekend? It was a very yeah, great weekend. I mean, I know they had to uh, survive the first week, the first game against uh, New Mexico State. But, you know, it's that dreaded 12-5 matchup, and they were able to get by that one. And they had a really, really bad call to end the game on that when they uh, had that foul on the three. They gave New Mexico State three shots. But luckily, uh, they were, did make both of their – all three of their free throws, and Auburn was able to survive that one. But then in the next game against Kansas, they came out and made a statement against one of the Blue Bloods in college basketball and absolutely dominated that game all 40 minutes from start to finish. And that was – Arguably the best game of the year besides their SEC uh, tournament win against Tennessee. I mean, Auburn is peaking at the right time. Bruce Pearl's got that team, uh, you know, performing at the highest level. They're experienced. They've got – they can shoot the three well. They play really good pressure defense. This is the Auburn team that we expected in the preseason. Not the not the inconsistent team that we saw in January, February. But he's got – Bruce Pearl's got this team playing great basketball at the right time. And they're an absolute threat to uh, win it all. I am making that bold prediction now. They could win this they could win it all as a five seed and North Carolina's got their hands full. Wow. Yeah, that's actually what I was just about to ask you is this matchup with North Carolina. What uh what does North Carolina bring to the table that you think could maybe give Auburn some trouble? I assume that North Carolina's favorite in this game. I haven't seen the line, but I have to assume that they are. North Carolina does have a little bit more depth in my opinion and also Roy Williams, you know, he's got three titles under his belt too and and North Carolina plays about the same style as Auburn, but they play a little bit faster than Auburn as well. I think I would give Auburn a slight edge as far as, like, perimeter shooting. But as far as, like, uh, you know, getting out on the break, North, nobody does it better than North Carolina. And if Auburn were to start getting a little bit cold from threes, you know, long rebounds, those go to North Carolina, they can get right down the court quickly and get an easy bucket. And uh, Bruce Pearl's got to be looking for that. So if there's ever a time in this game where Auburn goes cold, it could be a little bit dangerous for them. All right, and with that, we'll go ahead and move on to LSU, at least on the court for right now. Um, they were able to beat Yale in the first round. Yale gave them kind of a tough game. Um, and then they beat Maryland in the second round and probably one of the better games that we've had uh, in the tournament so far, uh, last-minute layup by Tremont Waters. Um what do you think about uh, LSU this first weekend? I, I like this LSU team. I mean, it's not the most experienced, but they're highly talented. I mean, as Charles Barkley says he thinks it's the most talented team left in the tournament. And, I mean, it's not far-fetched to say that. I mean, this whole team is just really stacked. I mean, Tremont Waters is a great uh, point guard. You got Javante Smart right behind him, but plays as well in the rotation, gets a lot of minutes. Uh, Nas Reed, great rim protector, really good down low, but also can – you know, get out on the perimeter and shoot threes. Uh, it's, it's, it's a really good team. I mean, I like them. I mean, Michigan State's really good, too. Uh, it's, it's a tough matchup for me to pick, and I think I did, like, maybe about five brackets. I picked uh, Michigan State in about four of them. I picked LSU in one. But as well, from what I've seen so far, I mean, I would almost put this game dead even 50-50. I mean, it's, it's a really tough matchup for both teams. Uh, they both play really good defense. Uh, it's going to be almost. I think it's going to be a really bit of a low-scoring game, a struggle for both teams to score. Michigan State likes to slow it down, play half court, and Cassius Winston is arguably the best point guard in college basketball. That's going to be a tough match. That's going to be the matchup to me is Tremont Waters and Cassius Winston. Right, and uh, one thing that I noticed uh, looking at this game is just going to be the coaching uh, difference. I mean, obviously you got an interim coach for LSU, and then 
for Michigan State. Michigan State, you got Tom Izzo, uh, one of the better coaches in the country, um, arguably top two or three coaches in the country, um, with a few days to prepare for this game. Um, you know, obviously LSU's athleticism and, uh, you know, just uh, overall talent um, is going to be really tough to deal with no matter what's going on. But how much do you think that the coaching edge uh, will be able to impact this game? I, I think it definitely has an impact here. I mean, not having – with LSU not having Will Wade, an, an interim coach going against one of the best and arguably the best uh, March coach we have in Tom Izzo. I mean, it's, it's definitely a, a tough game for LSU. But, I mean, they definitely have what it takes to beat Michigan State. I think they're more talented than Michigan State. The Michigan State's a little bit more experienced. They've got the – they got the uh, – probably my favorite coach in March. Like, you can't ever – ever uh, say that, you know, Tom Izzo is never going to have his team in it. And, uh, you know, it's, it's going to be tough. But, I mean, I definitely think that LSU has the ability to get past Michigan State. And I'm excited to watch it. I think Michigan State's a six-point favorite. So, you know, we're just going to have to wait and see what's going to happen. But uh, I do think LSU has a great shot to win it. But uh, as of now, I'd probably give the Spartans just a slight edge. Just barely a slight right. edge. Yeah, and I think uh, if LSU is able to win this game, uh, if they get matched up with Duke in the in the next round, the Elite Eight, I think that could be a really, really exciting game. Just all the talent that's going to be on the floor, especially in the post for that game, it would be really exciting. Oh, definitely. Like, I think either whoever wins this game, LSU or, Miss, or uh, LSU or Michigan State, that's going to be an exciting Elite Eight matchup with Duke. Assuming Duke, you know, gets by Virginia Tech, their conference rival. Right. And uh, lastly, uh, as far as the SEC team go, teams go, um, your favorite team, Tennessee, um, beat Colgate in the first round. Um, struggled, had to go to overtime against Iowa, even though they got out to that huge lead in the first half. Um, just kind of assess, like, what stuck out to you from, uh, from this past weekend with Tennessee. Uh, Tennessee has an issue. That issue is uh, taking their foot off the gas after they get big leads. Uh, in the Colgate game, they had a 16-point lead. Like, Colgate back in it actually let them take the lead with about eight minutes to go in the game. And then, all, obviously, in the second game, uh, the second-round game, they had a 25-point lead at one point against Iowa, and they were up 21 at halftime. And then they took their foot off the accelerator in that game as well. So it's a very alarming trend for this Tennessee team. They've, they've shown that they are one of the best teams in the country when they get out to those leads. I mean, there's a reason they get out to those leads. Is that's when they're focused and they have the highest intensity. But when they don't bring the intensity, uh, other teams have, have a window to uh, get themselves back in the game. And Tennessee cannot let up against this Purdue team. This Purdue team can beat you in all ways, facets of the game. They're really good at getting to the rim. Uh, they shoot three really well. They play lockdown defense. It's a, hard, it's a very difficult matchup for Tennessee. And if Tennessee doesn't bring the intensity all 40 minutes, they will lose. Yeah, and yeah, exactly. Purdue is a uh, very underrated team, someone that not a lot of people are talking about, but is definitely, you know, a really good team. I mean, they were a three seed for a reason. And, um, yeah, I mean, Tennessee was, you know, the first round, I never really felt like they were in danger of losing, but they did let Colgate hang around for a little too long. Um, Iowa, obviously, you know, that took the foot off the gas, just like you said. And, um, you know, Admiral Schofield got his fourth foul with about, I guess it was, what, three or four minutes left in the game. Rick Barnes takes him out, and he doesn't come back in for the rest of regulation or uh, overtime. And I know that surprised a lot of people. And um, Schofield, or maybe it was Barnes, said after the game that Schofield actually told him 
to keep him out of the game because he knew that he wasn't going to be able to guard without fouling. Um, to me, what does that say to you about this Tennessee <laughs> team and about the leadership on this team and unselfishness? Yeah, just it's exact. It's a testament for the team. Uh, these guys are all great teammates. They're all selfless. It's all about the team. There's no uh, prima donnas, and also Schofield. I mean, think about this. Like he 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 didn't trust himself to be in the game, knowing he has four fouls and knowing that he can't play the type of defense that he wants to play in the intensity because he has four fouls. And uh, he wanted to have his teammate Kyle Alexander in there to protect the paint rather than him, just because of his four fouls and knowing that. They were that uh, Fran McCaffrey, the Iowa coach, was going to be scheming against Schofield, and Schofield also felt like at the end of regulation that he was already out of the rhythm for not being in the game as much because he's had a lot of foul trouble in the second half. So I mean, it definitely shows you how much of a leader he is. And thinking about it, he's a senior, and this could be his final game of his career, and he's not even in it. So it just shows the the faith he has in his teammates, and also the uh, selflessness that he has in himself, and letting his teammates do the work for him. You know, almost acting like a coach. Right. So, there, as we said, there are four SEC teams left in the Sweet 16. Um, if you could rank the four on which you think is most likely to win the national championship, like rank them one through four, one being most likely to win the national championship, four being least likely. Yeah, we're talking about the SEC teams? Right, of the SEC teams. Mm, that's tough. All right, let's assume that these four teams are at full strength. And they're playing their absolute best basketball. I go number one, Tennessee. Number two, Kentucky. Um, we'll go with number three, Auburn. Number four, LSU. All right, that's exactly what I have as well. I I think LSU has the talent to win it all. I'm just I'm still <laughs> concerned about them having an interim coach, and not just an interim t- interim coach, but also Tremont Waters. Um, as great as he is, he is liable to do some – to make some questionable decisions. Absolutely. And, yeah, I, that's how I see it too. I mean, I love this LSU team. I think all four of them have potential to get out of this weekend and be in the Final Four. And, I mean, I can pretty much guarantee one of these four teams is going to be in the Final Four. I don't know which one, but I guarantee at least I think one of them will make the Final Four. Right. And um, that will, I guess, just wrap up our uh, – where we're at in the tournament and uh, we can move on to uh, some things, some other things that happened in basketball. Um, it's going to be pretty much all basketball today, I guess. There's no, no really football or baseball, or anything big news uh, to talk about. So we're just going to stick with basketball today. Um, Alabama and Vanderbilt, both fired their coaches. Um, what did you think of each decision? Do you like agree with it? Is it, <laughs> Maybe premature. How did you feel when you heard about these two uh, coaching changes? To me, the most was Bryce Drew. I mean, he had a uh, really a Murphy's Law type season this year. I mean, everything that could go wrong for that program went wrong. Losing Garland at the beginning of the season really hurt them. And then just the a lot of injuries to various players that made them miss, you know, a few games here and there uh, during the conference slate really hurt them as well. And I mean, I mean, it, it's just it was only his third season for Bryce Drew and he had a uh, really great recruiting class coming in next year too. And a few top 100 players coming in and uh, they just up and fired him. Uh, it's really kind of puzzled me. I did not see that coming. I thought that he was going to get at least one more season. I mean, as for Avery Johnson, I mean, I, I would have preferred to see him get one more year because he's already been in the tournament once and he's got a really excellent recruiting class coming in. 
But I think Greg Byrne might have a little bit of tricks up his sleeve. That job is intriguing for some, even though it is a football school. But it's also in the SEC, and the SEC has definitely upped their standards in basketball, and it's becoming a power around the country. And I think a lot of coaches are interested in getting into this conference. Yeah, I agree. Um, to me, I, I do think that Alabama maybe jumped the gun a little bit. I'm kind of a big Avery Johnson fan. Um, I just really like the way he handles himself. I think he recruits really well, and I just think, you know, he's just a good role model and a good coach. But I know at the end of the day that uh, it comes down to winning, and they're not winning the way that they want to at this point in his tenure. Um, that being said, if they were to go out and make a huge splash hire, then – you know, I would be on board with it and I would understand it. But if they just go hire, you know, just like a, you know, I, I don't, I can't think of like just an average coach name off the top of my head, but if they just go hire like some average coach that isn't really that intriguing, then, you know, I definitely feel like this was the <laughs> wrong decision. Uh, so it's pretty much contingent on who they hire for me. Definitely. I mean, I, they don't need to go the up and comer route because you don't fire Avery Johnson to hire an up and comer. You have to go for someone that uh, is established, and that's a name, household name. I mean, you're not going to get, like, someone from a blue blood, obviously, but you need to get someone that's won and has won at a high level. And, I mean, they got some definitely some good candidates I think they can reach out for. Obviously, I think the, uh, the most obvious hire for them that they could make would be Steve Prohm out of Iowa State. If they can get him out of Ames, that would be great because Steve Prohm is once at in Tuscaloosa, spent a lot of time there. Uh, another hire they could go after would be Kelvin Sampson out of Houston. That, to me, would be the uh, absolute best hire they can make, get Kelvin Sampson out of the American and have him move into a Power 5 conference. And Kelvin Sampson would have Alabama competing for uh, Sweet 16 Elite 8s and possible Final 4s in Tuscaloosa in a matter of time. I mean, he, he wherever he goes in the Power 5, he will have them competing. And another one they could reach out for is the hottest name in the country is Nate Oates at Buffalo. Amazing story he has. And... uh the other one that I've seen that's possible is Thad Mata, the former Ohio State coach, who's t- taken a couple of years off from coaching. That could be one candidate that could possibly come out of uh, out of his break and get back into coaching and, at the college level, and that would be interesting. I don't think Rick Pitino is as much of a candidate as I would imagine because Greg Byrne released a statement saying that he wants to have coach that has the highest integrity with the NCAA and Obviously, we know of Patino's past, so I don't think in his baggage. So I don't think that Patino will be a candidate, even though that would be an absolute splash. Yeah, that would be an incredible hire if they were able to pull that off. Um, I I do agree with uh, Prome and Sampson. Um, Mata, I I just kind of question a little bit because I, I've hear, I hear his name thrown out there so much that part of me feels like he's sort of a uh, kind of like less miles on the football side, like where it's just kind of, he throws his name out for any job that comes open and he's, you know, is rumored as a candidate early on, but isn't actually in the running. Is that a fair comparison? Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's fair. I mean, it, it's really hard for me to read what uh, Greg Burns going to do, but you know, to me, you don't fire Avery Johnson, just bring in somebody that's not as well known. You only fire him if you got, a trick up your sleeve and a candidate that you for sure think is going to come. And now let me say this. If Rick Bettino got offered the Alabama job, he would absolutely take it. But I just don't think that Greg Byrne will reach out to him. Right. And uh, that would be, (laughs) I mean, a splash would be maybe an understatement, maybe more like a tsunami. 
Um, <laughs> it would definitely be great for the SEC, and I know that John Calipari may not like it as much. <laughs> right. Or Rick, Bar- or Rick Barnes or some of these other good coaches in the conference. But you know what? The SEC is stepping up its game, and I am here for it all the way through. So, uh, real quick before we get back to Vanderbilt, um, do you think that Alabama could be like has the potential to be one of the top basketball programs in the country? I mean, even with kind of the shadow that's cast over them from the football program? I mean, absolutely. I mean, I think in any any school in the SEC has that potential. They've always had that potential. It's just these schools have never put the money into their basketball program. But you're starting to see it a little bit more now. I mean, Florida was nothing before Billy Donovan got there, and he turned them into a national power. Uh, Auburn was nothing before Bruce Pearl got there. Tennessee was nothing before Pearl got there. Then they went down, but then Rick Barnes came back came to Tennessee and put them at a national level. So any of these programs in SEC, I think, has that potential to get to a high level. I think Tom Crean's going to have Georgia at a high level potentially in a couple of years too. Will Wade had LSU coming up to a high level. You know, Ben Howland at Mississippi State could get them to that level they had at UCLA. So there's all these programs in SEC have that potential to be a uh, top 10, top 15 program. It's just, it's always been about the resources that these athletic directors have given and usually it's been football driven but now these athletic directors are seeing how much potential basketball has and it only helps your brand for all your athletics not just football right and um moving back to Vanderbilt and some of the candidates that that we've heard from them um you know obviously John Thompson the third Casey Alexander from Lipscomb Nate Oates from Buffalo who we discussed with the Alabama job and uh the kind of one that stood out to me was Johnny Dawkins at UCF um, obviously, he's done a great job there, former Duke player, and um, they almost just upset Duke. Um, had a ball in the rim. I'm sure everybody saw it that almost went in and was definitely kind of heartbreaking, especially for those of us who hate Duke, which is pretty much everyone who's not a Duke fan. Um, but which one of those names stands out to you that you think would be a good fit at Vanderbilt? Well, there's two routes that could go here. If they want to get someone that's, you know, one at a high level, one at a blue blood, and has been to a Final Four, you would go with John Thompson III, the former Georgetown coach. He's been out of coaching for a couple of years now. I think he's he could possibly rejuvenate his career by going to Vanderbilt and bringing in that really strong half-court defense that he was known for at Georgetown. And, you know, with the kind of, with the kind of players you can get at Vanderbilt, that could definitely work there. If they want to go with the up-and-comer route, they could just look down the street in the city and look at Casey Alexander at Lipscomb, who is – Built that program from the bottom up. He went 15-15 to in his first year. And then he took Liscombe to the tournament last year. Nearly made it this year and won the Atlantic Sun and won Coach of the Year. So you got two potential ways you can go there. But I think either of those would be a great hire. I mean, obviously, I know Johnny Dawkins could be a candidate as well. But I think the best ones to go with would be John Thompson III or Casey Alexander from Liscombe. Right. And I'd have to agree with you there. Um well, I don't know if we have uh, much else. Well, I mean, we are going to talk about LSU real quick, actually, so I take that back. Um, obviously, for those of you – well, I guess we'll explain for those of you who haven't heard. Um, you know, Dick Vitale sent out a tweet at halftime of the LSU game, basically talking about uh, – I mean, I don't know. Do you, do you want to take this, uh, JB? I can. I mean, I, I I put a post on our Twitter today from – I don't know if, how many people actually listened to it, but Dick Vitale was a guest 
this morning on uh, a, a local Baton Rouge TV station. I think it was with Jordy Colota, the co-host of uh, 104.5 ESPN in Baton Rouge for one of his morning shows. And it got really heated during that show, during that uh, interview. And I think Dick V knew what was about to happen going into it. And he was ready to uh, come out, you know, fist flying because he's been taking a lot of heat this past week from LSU fans. And uh, he did not hold back anything. I mean, he definitely let the uh, host have it. He let all the fans have it. He is very adamant that just because that Will Wade has been caught on wiretaps that he is absolutely guilty. But uh, as the host, Colota, kept asking Vital, did you actually hear it? And Vital did not have an answer for it because nobody's heard the wiretaps. It hasn't been released to the public. I mean, all it's been... All of the, all that we've seen is the quotes from it, that the transcript, is, right. the transcript that we have not actually heard it. But you know, Dick Vitale continuously defended uh, Duke when Coletta hit him with all the tough questions, and I mean, it, it almost makes you think that uh, ESPN is trying to protect its blue blood Duke, and Dickie V is part of it, and lsu is kind of just a scapegoat for this entire F- fbi investigation because they are not a typical blue blood like you know the typical ones like uh duke or kansas or arizona but namely uh kansas and arizona that are part of this investigation right and uh i don't know the uh do you think there's uh some collusion between dick Vitale and uh and duke or north carolina or some of these blue bloods i mean do you just think that i mean what do you think to me, it's just a good old boy network. I mean, we're used to seeing North Carolina and Duke compete at the highest level every year. I mean, we're also the same goes for Kansas as well. That's why I put that quote on there, or my thoughts about it, is that it's really apples and oranges when you compare Kansas to North Carolina because it's been speculated that, uh, or I don't, I don't know, speculated, but actually reported that Kansas offered Zion Williamson a hundred thousand to come to play at Kansas. We ended up going to Duke instead. So my logic in this is either Duke outbid him or or they just outpaid him. Or, you know, outbid him, but also he also got paid from Duke as well. So in this essence, he got paid at Duke. And you know, the way you look at it is that he didn't just go to Duke for free. I mean, you don't go to Duke for free and turn down money from Kansas is, my, is the point I'm getting at. So the logic to me is that he would have gotten paid from Duke somehow, but they just didn't get caught. And that's really how it is in all of college athletics. It's not just a Duke. This happens everywhere. But the, what Duke Vitale is insinuating is that Duke is innocent, and he just, but he doesn't understand the speculation that we as people put into it because you don't just get offered from Kansas and not take money, you know? Right, yeah. No, I understand. And it's just – I understand – uh the LSU fans' frustration, I mean, it does seem like uh, they're being treated a little bit unfairly compared to some other Blue Blood-type schools. Um, you know, we've seen Duke and North Carolina and Kansas, you know, have been – I mean, even Louisville even have some, you know, pretty incriminating things happen and, uh, you know, them not lose their coach in the middle of the tournament. Um, but, I mean, I guess that's more on Joe Oliva than the NCAA, I guess. But, I mean, still, it just seems kind of – I don't know. It just it doesn't seem like everyone's playing by the same rules. I guess what I'm getting at. I agree, and I, I mean I do feel for the LSU fans. I, I absolutely feel for them because 
I mean, they're definitely been thrown under the bus by national opponents, including Dick Vitale. I mean, it seems like they're the, they're the absolute scapegoat for this entire FBI wiretap investigation. And LSU and Will Wade is not the only school and coach that's involved in the scandal. There's going to be many more that come out of it and more coaches that lose their jobs. But obviously LSU is the forerunner of this because of the transcripts that have been released from Will Wade. But he's not the only one involved is my point. And they should not be the only ones that are talked about and thrown under the bus. Yeah, I agree. So uh, are you ready to move on to rapid fire? I am if you are. Oh, I'm ready. Um, let's see, let me just get my, my notes out pulled up real quick, and then we can do it. Um, let's do this, son. All right. What is your Chick-fil-A order? Uh, mine is number two, spicy chicken sandwich with uh, pepper jack cheese and waffle fries. And if I'm really hungry, I get another spicy chicken sandwich with pepper jack cheese. And Chick-fil-A sauce is my go-to sauce for one sandwich. And if I get two sandwiches, I get ranch and uh, buffalo sauce for the other one. And what are you getting to drink? Coke Zero. All right. Um, have you ever had the peach milkshake from uh, Chick-fil-A? I have not. Uh, I've had all the other ones. I've had the cookies and cream, strawberry, chocolate, and vanilla. But I have never had the peach. It's it's seasonal, but it's about to be in season again. So I think it's usually during like the summertime. So maybe in a few months it'll it'll come back up. But it's really good. You should try it. I, I recommend it to everybody out there. Um, let's see. What's your favorite wing flavor? Definitely hot buffalo. It is, to me, there's no other wing flavor that exists to me except buffalo. Like I won't really eat any other flavors except buffalo. What are you dipping in? I dip in a little bit of mostly ranch, but also go blue cheese. So it's really about half and half. It's, it depends on what what place I'm going to as well. Some places to me have better ranch, and some places have better blue cheese. And which whichever's best there is what I go with. Do you like uh, flats or drummies more? I'm a flats man. I always go flats. I think they have more flavor. They have more meat, but most of all, they're easier to eat too. But it's also just the flavor. It's the flavor. I think flats have the most flavor. What is your favorite dessert? That's a tough one, but I'm going to go with apple cobbler. With ice cream? Yep, we'll go with apple cobbler with vanilla ice cream on it. Apple cobbler a la mode. All right, what's a popular movie that you – what's an unpopular movie that you really like? So something that maybe you think is a little bit underrated. That's kind of a tough one. <laughs> An unpopular movie that everyone likes. No, or that, everyone doesn't. That, you that like. people don't like. That people don't like, but I like. Right. Mm, maybe I'll go with one of the. Uh, one, these movies aren't really highly acclaimed, but they're kind of cult favorites. I'm going to go with uh, American Reunion, the uh, fourth film of the American Pie series. I think that's actually one of the better ones. It's very nostalgic, but it didn't score well with critics, but I actually like that film. Nice. Nostalgic. I love it when you break out the uh, the dictionary and uh, bring some <laughs> new vocabulary to the show. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Um, all right. So kind of reverse question, but it doesn't have to be a movie. What's something that everybody likes that you hate? Avocado. Not, you, can't, you can't say something you're allergic to. Avocado. Oh, you're not, oh, you're not allergic to avocado? I thought you were. I'm not, but uh, I, I don't say I would absolutely hate avocado. 
but I am not on board with it as much as most other people in this country are. I don't know. understand the avocado fat at all. I don't need avocado on everything. I don't need avocado on my burger. I don't need it on my tacos, on my enchiladas, or my salads. I don't need it on anything. I just, I don't need avocado. It's just what about, it's so pointless. What about guacamole? I don't need guacamole either. Give me salsa, give me cheese dip before you give me guacamole. Amen. All right, what is your favorite ice cream flavor? Cookies and cream, by far. That's really about the only flavor I will eat. You know, that's not vanilla. All right, so let's say we go to Yogurt Mountain or whatever that place is called. Um, Basically, just one of those places where you get, like, the frozen yogurt and they have, like, all the toppings and stuff in there. What kind of uh, yogurt flavor are you getting and then what all toppings are you putting on it? I'm always going to go with vanilla as the base because I think that's just the uh, the best as far as like neutralizing all the toppings. So I go with vanilla base, and I usually put some Oreo crumbs on it, some hot fudge, uh, maybe a couple M&Ms, a couple of chocolate chips, and uh, some chocolate rocks if they have them, and then puts a big uh, dollop of uh, whipped cream on top and around the edges. Uh, who's your favorite Tennessee player of all time? In any sport or basketball or football, or you want to go basketball theme since it's March Madness? Sure, sure. Go ahead. Uh, favorite basketball player of all time, Chris Lofton. I think he's arguably the best shooter in SEC basketball history. Uh, probably my favorite player of all time. Overcame cancer his senior year. And uh, just an all-around great guy. Great story. All right. what uh, What's your favorite pizza topping? Or, like, what are the toppings on your pizza? Uh, if we're going one topping pizza, we're going to go with Italian sausage. Uh, if we're going with specialty pizza, we're going buffalo chicken. Okay. Um, let's see. I guess that's about it. Um, I was trying to think if I could think of another one really quick because we're at 44 minutes and 44 seconds right now, and um, I would really like to make it exactly 45 minutes. But uh, I guess I'll just go ahead and say thank you, everybody, for listening. Uh, we enjoy doing this every week and, uh, we'll be back with you next week in 45 seconds or 45 minutes. Thanks for tuning in to another outstanding episode of the SEC Slow Smoke Podcast. Be sure to rate us and subscribe on iTunes or your podcast app of choice. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at SEC Slow Smoked. Spread the good word on this podcast like the chili and cheese on your fries. If you like this podcast, tell a friend, because there's plenty to go around. Oh.